Do you feel all right, ma'am? Hmm? Oh, yes, certainly. It's just that I've read so often about you and Batman in the press, and, well, the experience of actually viewing you in the flesh is faintly faint-making. Oh, please, Miss Stoneman, there's no reason to be disturbed. That's right. Behind our masks, we're perfectly ordinary people. Computer, status report. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. No! It's wrong! Sci-fi Saturday night. It's TallCast82 and in celebration of Free Comic Book Day, ladies and germs. Welcome to the Desdemona edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Deep in Area 51, reading my vintage copy of Betty Page and Veronica, I am the Dome. Joining the TallCast tonight, dressed as Mira, Aquaman's wife, welcome, Kriana. Really? Is that what these green sequins mean? Well, it, it could be, sure. It oh. may not be, but... Whatever. Joining us from the Fork of the Vault of Comics tonight, Mr. Mixoplex himself, it's Illustrator X. <laughs> well, tonight's episode is brought to you by Schrodinger's Catnip. One token, your cat won't know if it's dead or alive. I think uh, I have some of that. I'm, you know what? I think you do. You're right. <laughs> and our own personal red, Sonia, it's the dead redhead. Tonight, I am being non-simultaneously apprehended. Ooh. Here, here. You and me both, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and from my post California in Indiana, our own little bink from Star Wars, it's Captain Segway himself, awake by Java. How did I get here? Who <laughs> 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 are these people? <laughs> oh, good lord. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, in our second half hour, Richard Metzger will be joining us. And... We're going to be talking about Robert Anton Wilson. Between now and... Careful, careful. Between now and 8.30, what I need you all to do is... Read Every Can by Robert Anton Wilson. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Kriana, you're screwed. Wikipedia! (laughs) Here we come. You know, last week, there was no talk cast for obvious reasons, because we were exhausted from uh, day one of Boston Comic-Con at the Pru in Boston. And guess what, kids? Let's talk a little bit about what went on at Boston last week for us. Well, let's see. There was a heck of a lot of costumes, first of all. And kids. Okay. Favorite costume, anybody? Um, Mira. Wait, I didn't see a TARDIS. What? I saw oh, a TARDIS in Doctor Who. I think I have, we have a picture of it. Uh, it yep, might be in our I comic. saw a couple Doctor Who. Okay, I haven't seen any of our pictures or the comic yet. <laughs> well, somebody uh, hasn't put the comic back up on the website yet. It works for me, but I got reports that it wasn't working, so I'm trying to figure out why. Hmm. 
We should have our so. digital comic up on the website moment soon. Soon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, soon. Okay, my favorite costume was the guy in the uh, in the ectomorph suit, fourteen feet tall. Oh, the giant robot guy. Yeah, he was okay. No. Uh, my favorite was Mister T. He kicked some butt. <laughs> <laughs> He beat the hell out of somebody in the lobby. The Nerd Caliber guys. He beat the crap out of the Nerd Caliber guys when they tried to interview him. It was pretty funny. My favorite would be all the Riot Girls positioned right across from us. Strategically. Bob Shaw. Thank you. Thank you for putting us right across from the Riot Girls. Bob Shaw, I'm sending you kisses of gratitude. (laughs) Uh, but it was a great show. I mean, this every year the Boston Comic Con gets bigger and better. And it was freaking big. It yes, was it as was. it was as big as I've uh, as I can ever remember it being. In fact, I think it was bigger than Wizard World. To be honest, it was definitely it. bigger than Wizard World. I walked in there. I walked in there, and you know, when Wizard World happened, I didn't realize how big the room was because they had the aisles so set up so wide. And when you walked yeah, in, they had crammed every bit of booth space in there that they could possibly fit. It took me at least 45 minutes to an hour to get through a cursory run of, an uh, air quotes, artist's alley, which was more like artist's block. <laughs> it was... Plus you didn't yeah. have to spend 60 bucks to get somebody's signature. Yeah. No, they were mostly free. Yep, Mostly. Neil Adams is charging. Well, you know what I thought was kind of interesting about the size of Boston Comic Con? Is that each year we've been there for the past three years, the venue has been just at capacity in terms of they really couldn't fit another artist in there. No. And this year, the venue is about twice the size of last year's venue. Is that fair? Uh, At least twice. Maybe a little bigger. And it was once again... There wasn't room for another artist or another vendor in the in the place no, at all. It was completely in a good way. In a good way, mm. though. In a very good way, yeah. right? So, if it continues to grow, they've already outgrown the pro. Where are they going to go? I know. I know. Uh, in Boston, still. the TD Bank Center. <laughs> Dude, that would be awesome. <laughs> That would be bizarre. Uh, just close down the town for the day. Have everyone walking around in costume. That'd be awesome. That would uh, be awesome. You know that's called great, pride, uh, and you should come down for it. Uh, <laughs> that's really. But I think the best thing is the fact that getting to see all like half the people were there were like people we've had on our show. They're our family. It's our that con was- family. Can I say that it was very, very cool to get to meet Gon Gon Wilson, who came over from Scotland. He's like 86 years old, and they brought him in, and from uh, the gentleman who was sitting with him most of the time was the Tony, the guy who owns Million Year Pitnik, who, Tony, you were a wonderful gentleman. Thank you for introducing yourself. But he was kind of the guy who sat with Gon Wilson, and he said, Mr. Wilson thought that he was only going to make a couple hundred dollars and just enjoy the con. And he said there were just people coming out of the woodwork to get his artwork. That so many people that he was going to have to do their artwork later and mail it to him. He was oh. almost crying. He said he was so happy 
that so many people remembered him. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Well, it, you know, in terms of he, reality, he was an awfully sweet guy. It was one of those, one of those really rare moments where you had a lot of really, really famous art, artists there, and they were all kind of really happy to be there. Yes. Yeah. And we were right down the road from all of them. It was cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It absolutely was. Yeah. It was like the row of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, man. You know, I I do want to say thank you to everyone who stopped by our booth and uh, actually stopped by my half of our booth to uh, buy some of my artwork or at least, you know, give a nice comment or whatever. Uh, we were on the same row as Joe Kubert, Adam Hughes, J. Scott Campbell, uh, Art Adams. Frank Quietly. Frank Quietly. <laughs> I appreciate anyone who <laughs> stopped on their way and said, oh, what's this? <laughs> Thank you from the bottom of my heart, folks. I appreciate it. And you know what, Jim, Bob Shaw, Kim, everyone Nick, who... Jimmy and Colin. <laughs> I said Jim and Colin. Yeah. And, and Nick. Thank you guys. We so much. We always have tons of fun at your show, which is why we mention it at the end of every show, because we just... Th there's not a better show in Boston. And I think it's because it's it's a purely Boston show. It doesn't try to be like a... like a... something that happens in several cities or anything like that. It's centered around Boston. Yeah. <laughs> and you... And, like Java said in our Nerd Caliber interview, it's very much about the art and the artists and comics and finding new things and meeting new people rather than movie announcements. You know who was cool? Who was really cool for me was Terry Moore, meeting him finally. He was Aren't fairly they awesome. Aren't just sweet people? They are just sweethearts. Both oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, and, and, you know, no matter who came by his booth, I mean, first of all, he kept true to his promise, and he wasn't going to sketch, and he didn't sketch. He sat there, and he talked to people, and that's all he did for two days. And he made time for every single person who came by to talk to him. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, also, Ty Tyler James, thank you yes, for awesome you sketch cards. Fabulous. Yeah. I love my Abe Sapien. Um, it was possibly the only Abe Sapien in the entire show. So I believe it was. <laughs> you rock my socks off. Well, actually, Amanda drew me one as well, but but I had to ask for... Well, I guess I asked for this one, too. Anyway. <laughs> Fabulous. I love him. Yeah. Oh, oh, and we're, while we're on the subject of people who drew stuff that was just totally out of the world, uh, Peter Vinton, I hurt you. Thank you <laughs> so much. Yeah, I thought your eyes were going to pop out of your head when you saw his artwork. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? You, you say to an artist who you also consider to be a friend, you know, we, we stop in and we see Peter at every show that we're at. Normally before the show starts, we just kind of exchange pleasantries. We go, how you doing? What's new? What's up? Do you have a dry erase marker? <laughs> <laughs> Which was our question this year. And, <laughs> and his question was, and has been literally every year, you know, are you looking for anything special? You know, because invariably I'm looking for a Harley Quinn. And I, I made the mistake of, of, of saying that this year I was going to branch out just a little bit 
and I was looking for anybody who was doing She-Hulk because She-Hulk is just one of those characters that, for the most part, uh, cartoonists and artists don't do. Like Abe Sapien. Yeah, exactly. So so he he had this little gleam in his eye when I said that. A sprightly gleam. A sprightly gleam in his eye, and... This was Saturday morning at around 9 o'clock. And then and Sunday so morning, got- Heather and I walked by his booth, and he said, Come here! Come here! Look at this! Don't tell Dome! <laughs> and we didn't. And no, then didn't. later... <laughs> and then later... Later, he walked up to us. Uh, actually, if you look at the Nerd Caliber interview, you can see him skulking around in the background. <laughs> It was right after that interview that he presented me with a brand new hand-drawn original drawing of She-Hulk, which was really cool, which I'm going to post on the website, by the way. You've just described him as like a ninja Santa here. (laughs) He is kind of a ninja Santa. That's awesome. Ninja Santa Peter (laughs) Vinton. Peter, if you're listening, I expect to hear something. (laughs) Now, speaking of comics, though, today is Free Comic Book Day. It is indeed. It's indeed. I hope everybody out there went to their favorite comic book store and said, thank you for giving us cool stuff, and then got cool stuff for saying thank you for giving us cool stuff. Because I did. Double Midnight, I was there in spirit. Double Midnight uh, gave me a bag with Kriana's name on it. <gasps> Hooray! That makes my that makes my day of failed apartment hunting worth it. <laughs> oh. You know, girls just didn't say that back in my day. You got me a bag of comics? Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Yay! I'm excited. That's why I married you. I'm actually in the middle of cataloging my entire collection on Comic DB. Or comic book DB. Are we allowed to endorse that website? I don't endorse sure that right. website, but I'm using it right now. We'll see how it goes. But I learned that there is an Angel versus Frankenstein 2. Oh. <laughs> and why don't I own this? I'm not sure. But I think it may happen next weekend. <laughs> Shadanda, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This year's uh, selection of comics were very kid-friendly, very yes, all-ages-oriented. Disney. So, lots of Disney, lots yep. of wait, wait. Marvel stuff was all Even ages. Even a dark crystal. But wait, Kriana, hmm? there's a Fraggle Rock one with your name on it. Squee! Is there Wembley? Mm-hmm. I like Wembley. And Goober and... Don't say Moki. I hate Moki. <laughs> <laughs> She's my least favorite fraggle. <laughs> now we're going to have a big Facebook war with all the Moki emailing me. She is just... Thank you. Her name rhymes with Mopey. <laughs> we look forward to your emails. Your tweet mails. Ass mode. Well, <laughs> well, speaking of utter, utter loathing, you have some comments about Doctor Who? Okay, okay, I don't loathe Doctor Who, though. I loathe people who don't get it, and then post their opinions online as if they do get it. I'm talking about you, Kevin Anderson. I'm calling you out. 
Kevin Ooh. Kevin J. No, it's not Kevin J. Anderson. It's Kanderson from from the Nerdist blog. Kyle, no, sorry, it's Kyle Anderson. Sorry. Whoops, thought it was Kevin. <laughs> the Nerdist All blog these isn't, fans. isn't that we, what our buddy we is? We anticipate your email request. Of course, our buddy. Yeah, isn't who who else is on that website? Chris Hardwick. Yeah. He's not our buddy yet, but I have to criticize his friend right now, so hang on just a sec. Oh, Lord. Okay, okay. okay. There's a friend here. We're going to lose a couple of friends, because cause if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, turn Ustream off, watch it, then come back and listen to this episode. But <laughs> th- this analysis or synopsis of the, of the episode was just so lame that I have to go through it and just... Be annoyed. No, everybody dies. That would be the analysis of the last season of Torchwood. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The last, yeah, yeah. More fringe. Okay, okay. Oh, so, oh. all right, all right. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. So, point one: the jump is too quick at the beginning. You jump three months. We don't get to see part two of a three-parter. Um, that's crap. The reason that they jumped three months is because those intervening three months was just the people from the TARDIS running around and Canton running after them. Did we really need to see that? No, we did not. Not at all. Okay, point number two. It's never explained why Canton needs to pretend to hunt down the members of Team TARDIS. That was a direct quote. Um, you're an idiot. There was a whole flashback. Remember, they flash back to the scene where... The silence are telling Canton to get rid of them, and they're all like, "No, Canton, no!" And then they run away. But here's here's the thing that might be hard to grasp: Canton is double crossing the silent. No way. Yes, that's what's going on. <laughs> which you don't, which you don't find out until later when it's revealed that he's not affected. He can he can disobey them. Because of right. the doctor thing. Exactly. Why wasn't anybody paying attention to and, that? And he's saying there's no need for the Area 51 section or the inescapable prison. But yes, there clearly was. It's to fool the silence into thinking that they're contained. So they can go off and do their shenanigans without them, you know, killing them. And so, go bring in Nixon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the best comment I, I heard on the last week's episode was, the flashing hands. What? Are we doing Logan's run again? Oh, good lord. So, so, next point. <laughs> next point. The silence falls upon the podcast. Next point. Clearly, the little girl is Amy's kid. Duh. Second of all, it's not surprising that a child would have pictures of herself in her orphanage room. She probably doesn't have any other pictures of her when she was younger. This does not mean because it's not her room. She's an orphan. She's an orphan. This does not make it not her room. Okay. Next bit. This really bothered you, didn't it? It really did. And this is this is the worst part. The oh, silent no, no, no. I got a, I got a, I got a 45 minute phone call about this one. <laughs> okay, the silent reveals to the doctor that they are the silence and they will fall. And now here's where Kyle completely misses the two meanings of the word fall. Okay? Silence will fall means 
silence will spread over the world. He's thinking silence will fall as the silence will be defeated in a very Lord of the Rings interpretation of this whole idea. Why would they tell him that they were going to be defeated? Well, they didn't. Because you interpreted it wrong. I gotta say, this is refreshing because coming back from Boston Comic Con last weekend... Turn on the TV, and it's like, whoa, Osama Bin Laden's dead, and oh, royal wedding stuff, and and gas prices are falling, and our show is dedicated to giving our audience, our listeners, the real news. <laughs> Why this part, these people are so wrong about Doctor Who? Well, wait, are you are you saying they're not wrong? Because they're no, really no, wrong. I'm saying, I'm saying I am. Fed up with the real world trying to intrude upon my love of science fiction. <laughs> there you go. For there you bringing, go. bringing us back to what really counts in life. What's really now, important now, in this the parting shot in this is, and I'm going to quote for a minute, the girl frigging regenerates. What? Exclamation question, exclamation question, exclamation question, exclamation. <clears throat> Here are the theories of what could this, what this could be. I will list for you right now. Number one, she's just a kid. Number two, she's Amy's and Rory's daughter, but the silence took her and did weird experiments on her. Number three, she's River Song, though that seems less likely. Number four, she's River and the Doctor's Child, again unlikely. Number five, she's a Time Lord that the silence kidnapped long ago. Number six, the silence are growing their own Time Lords. Number seven, <laughs> something else no one's thought of yet because Stephen Moffat is clever and likes to show it off to us. Dear Kyle... Stop trying to guess. You're not clever. Okay, hold on. I can Dear Kyle. I was, also, I was also thinking... Dear Kyle. Let's stop forget that the doctor has a clone running around out there. Thank the you. The, the doctor's yes. daughter. Thank you. Right. Hello. Plus, one, it could be that, you know, the silence adapted regeneration technology and testing it out on the child so that they can have regenerative powers. Or two, it could even be the doctor himself. As a girl? Whoa. Why not? Why not? There's nothing there's nothing that says the doctor can't be that. It's clearly Amy's daughter. No, it's not clearly Amy's daughter. Yes, it daughter. is clearly Amy's daughter. I think she's just gonna turn to the camera and say being a prepubescent girl is cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a prepubescent girl now. <laughs> mm. You know, it, it could very easily come down to that. It could uh, very easily come down to guys, that. Guys, I, I, am I the only one who's seen this week's episode? Yes. Probably. Shut up. Okay. Well. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. No spoilers. No, no, no. No spoilers, but. No. But see. Spoilers. <laughs> no. No, see, I'm not, there are no spoilers. I would never do that to anyone. But. Unless I was trying to be malicious. And I have no reason to be malicious to you folks. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are other people out there. <laughs> but, but, we'll cover our ears for a moment. Bazinga. No. <laughs> the, the point is that, that there are there is a whole season of episodes in which this mystery can be explored. That was my last point. Thank you. And and he goes on to also bitch about the woman in the window with the with the metal thing in the door um, from the orphanage. I'm like, but but 
this this story arc is not going to be tied up in a two-parter. This is not the two-parter story arc. This is the introduction to the season story arc. Hello? Wait a minute. Yes. Right. Let's, let's go back to season or two. Why? Well, because if you recall, in the very first or second season of David Tennant, well... Dome went away for a second there. He's that coming back. Porchwood and then jumped back into the end of Doctor Who. Dome, you... I'm we sorry, didn't hear you, any of that. Okay, you lost me? You got a little loud there. Dome. Okay. Okay, remember the first David Tennant season where he got his hand cut off uh, in, I think, the second episode, and the hand ended up running through part of... No, that, was, in the, that was when he regenerated. That was in the Christmas special. Oh, that's right. Christmas Invasion, he was in his gym jams, and he got his hand cut off. Then he got a new one, because it was a fighting hand. And then it didn't resolve itself until the end of that season, after going through two episodes of Torchwood as well. So, I mean, you know, if you're expecting instant gratification from from Doctor Who... You're sorely mistaken! Sorry. And there's that, too, yes. <laughs> I feel a little strongly about that. Evidently. Evidently. So what else has been going on this week? Oh, you know what? We, we got friends, so... Fringe, yeah. Okay. Um. Oh my gosh, Fringe is awesome. And now we're done talking about Fringe. That was good. Yeah, because because yes, today I watched the the latest episode of Fringe too. Has any everybody seen that? No. Yep. You're not watching Fringe, so it doesn't count. I know, because yeah, it got lame. No, totally not. You got as lame. soon as as soon as we get to the point where I'm like, okay, things have st- got to start being resolved. Bam! Done. It's like a whole... This series could go on forever. It's just unbelievable. Yes, again. The writers are amazing. And, and, and the... Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, they took some real chances with it, and every one of them paid off in spades. It was amazing. Can we go back to Boston Comic Con for five seconds? Sure. Okay, I just want to mention a couple other people that I forgot to mention um, before, as in the zombie pets people who've been tweeting us out, which is people for the ethical treatment of zombies. Heart you. Heart, heart, heart. (laughs) I got got a really cool sticker of a zombie kitty eating a heart, actually, so hearts for you. Um, Kill Shakespeare, freaking awesome. We loved yes. them. We loved yes. meeting them. Stay tuned for perhaps a special project coming out of that relationship. I'm and, in. And in May 25th, they're going to be on the show. I know. I mean, uh, it sounds very June. inappropriate. June. June. I'm sorry, June 25th. Yeah, yeah. yeah we are booked like two months out, man. Sweet. Holy guacamoles. We and are. working on more. It's a nice. good thing. It's a good thing. Oh and, oh, 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 you know what the coolest thing that I ended up seeing at Boston Comic Con? Not a clue. Um, when you turned around and looked at our lovely faces. Yeah, we were smiling. Java, Java <laughs> and I took a walk through the Artist Alley. We, we saw this line. Actually, Sarah Richard actually didn't have a line for the first time, like, all week. And we just kind of went over and said hi. And she said, guys, you got to see this. Chavi, you remember that? Yep. Tell I sure them do. 
Tell, tell them what we saw. <laughs> she had painted the back of an iPad. Uh, not not yes. a, a case, but actually painted on the iPad. And I, I just want to say that she said that she had submitted designs, uh, so some of her art, to Jelliskins. And if the Jelliskin guys are, are listening, get her art on, because I will buy all of them. They're not up yet, and I want that. I think we should tweet mail them. There. Let's tweet mail them. We're going to uh, start a tweetition. That's Twitter petition. I just made that up right now. If that catches on, I should get a dollar. <laughs> no, there actually is a tweetition, actually. A tweetition? Yeah, it actually exists. Cool. Okay, okay, okay. What else did I want to say? Did we talk about Nerd Caliber yet? And how they interviewed us, and were super awesome, and I was on there for like two seconds, but it was mostly Dome and Java. <laughs> but they were cool, so it was cool. They were very cool. I, you know what, Nerd Caliber guys, <laughs> if you're listening, Nerd Caliber guys. Wookie guys and Producer. We don't know your actual names, we just have your emails, Wookie and Producer. That's right. So, so we, other notable, other notables, um, the Hero Business, who were selling, um, 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 test tube shot glasses. Awesome, <laughs> coolest nice. thing ever. You know, I just love little crap like that. That's cool and inexpensive. <laughs> I'm like, look what I got. It's a test tube. Um, There's lots of really cool and expensive stuff. The first law of mad science, who gifted gifted me a comic book to read and review for the website, and which in its front cover has a suggested soundtrack, which mostly consists of Philip Glass. You're awesome. Oh my god, whoa. <laughs> you guys are cool. Thank you for I actually got a homemade music. journal. I got a homemade journal for my intern at work, and it had um, recycled leather on it and handmade paper pages. And that was like the most off-topic booth at Comic-Con. I know, but it was so pretty, and I got her one, and she loved it, and it was just neat to see all these different things there. It was really cool. Uh, we saw we saw guys who made models. I forget what they uh, what their company was, but they were really cool. Uh, but I expect to hear from all these people later this year. And the last person I want to talk about really quickly is Chronicles of Oswald, because it's a webcomic by J.D. Calderon, and I have two issues sitting right here, and I've only gotten to read, like, the first couple pages, but it's cute as all hell. So if you like cute roulette and cute overload and magical mice, tickle your fancy. Google Chronicles of Oswald, because I... Oh, it's www.theoswaldchronicles.com. There it is. Anyway, check it out. And it's 8.30. Oh my god, is it? Yeah, it's 8.30. It is I can talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wow, look at who's pontificating tonight. I wasn't pontificating. I was plugging. There's a difference. I was saying hi to everyone, new and old well, not, like, physically, but who we've met before and who we haven't met before before I get in trouble. So um, <laughs> at Comic-Con, we loved meeting the people who we haven't met before and seeing the people who we have, and some of you we will see next weekend at Granite Con. And now, I will bring in our guest. I feel like I need a segue sound. <laughs> Is that the bringing in the guest music, Don't. Yeah, that was the bringing in the guest music. And our guest tonight 
Well, they joined us, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to Richard Metzger. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. All righty, and we are going to talk about Robert Anton Wilson. Yes. Yeah, uh, Richard. You well. First of all, I'm extremely jealous of you because you got to meet and work with one of my heroes, Robert Anton Wilson. Um, mm. Of all the authors that we've discussed on the show, and you know, we're all big sci-fi fans here, as well as social philosophy fans, his books are the ones that I can honestly say I came away from them where my view of reality had changed for the better. Uh, he's aggressively optimistic. How did um, how did you come to discover Robert Anton Wilson's works, and how, what kind of influence has it had on you in your life? Well, when I was a kid in the late seventies, like um, there, I was growing up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and I, I hung around with a bunch of you know really smart kids who were quite literate, and um, they were really into books like um, you know Kurt Vonnegut's books and um, Tom Robbins and Richard Brodigan and authors like that. And um, some kids who were a little bit older than I was were, were, were uh, quite into the Illuminatus trilogy books. And um, I, at the time, I wasn't, because I, I actually sort of looked, I, I thought of them as being kind of like Dungeons and Dragons kind of nerds, and I thought it was kind of like that, you know? So it wasn't something that I really got into at that time. But <laughs> I, I, I bring this up. I bring this up to note that they had convinced themselves, you know, like reading these books and smoking weed and, you know, doing the things in a small town in the 70s that they, these were sort of coded messages that, that were sent, you know, from the resistance to them. That, you know, it was this, you know what I mean? And so, again, like I, I could say, I just sort of like looked at them and sort of rolled my eyes and I didn't get into it because of these kids, you know, but that's kind of like, you know, holding, you know, say, oh, people who like Bob Marley are, you know, uh, <laughs> shock. You know what I mean? And you can't sort of right. hold that against Bob Marley. So, um, but when I actually got into um, Robert Anton Wilson, it was probably in the early '80s, and I was reading about him in a, a fanzine called Vague, which uh, which I was living in London at the time, and, and then I started reading his books. Then there was a big issue of Vague magazine that had like a you know probably a twenty page. Robert Anton Wilson special, and there were things about the Illuminatus trilogy production that they had done. In, oh, you and, mean the, uh, the, um, the like the twelve-hour play they were doing? Yeah, so the, yeah, exactly. So there were like pictures from that, and um, and then things about various conspiracy theories. So at, right after that, I was like, oh, you know, I've been missing out on this. So it was like around nineteen when I first got into, uh, started getting into Bob's work. Nice. Now, you know, I, I, mean, I find it kind of interesting that uh, uh, Robert Anton Wilson and, and Vonnegut, who I guess were both protégés at the same time, neither of them felt that they were science fiction authors. Well, in, in a, I mean, really, they, neither of them were. You know, I, I, was, I was not a, a big sci-fi fan when I was a kid, so I, you know, it wasn't like that. That wasn't where the appeal lay for me as a reader, you know, in the 70s, so... All right, but I mean, uh, one of the things I've noticed about his books is that even though the majority of his writings are nonfiction and, again, they're philosophy, um, arguably most of his readers come to him from his fiction, from Illuminatus, Schrodinger's Cat, and so forth. 
Um, why do you think that is? I mean, just because it's more designed for mass appeal? I, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know that it's always the case, you know, I mean, I mean, I, if you ask me like, okay, what are, what are your favorite Wilson books? I mean, I would start, oh, please. I would, the first thing I would name would be Cosmic Trigger, and the second thing I would name yes. would be Mask of the Illuminati. So, one nonfiction book, and then a, a fiction book. I mean, the, it, it's, it's interesting too, also when, you know, it's like, I've, I've been I was involved in book publishing for a long time, and the older you get, you start to realize that books have a sort of a season. You know what I mean? It's about 15 years before the average book, most books, the information becomes outdated or it's been superseded or, you know what I mean? It's, it's just, they have a, books have a lifespan is, is just the best way to put it. And um, so some of, you know, 80s nonfiction books are, are going to sort of fall by the wayside as time goes by. And the, the fiction, I think, will remain timeless. You know, so, but, but like I say, I, I sort of came to it more from the, from the nonfiction stuff myself. Mm. Interesting. No, I, I swear most of the people I've talked to, you're one of the only people I've talked to who found his nonfiction first. I was actually handed a copy of Masks of the Illuminati by a friend of mine who was like, you need to read this. <laughs> this yeah. is what is going on in your head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can like, imagine that that happens a lot with that book. <laughs> Right. Well, one thing I, I noticed um, that really stand out about his fiction work is that um, my, a good chunk of it is very pessimistic. It's a, the world after the Holocaust. We're all radioactive mutants, whatever. He's aggressively optimistic. And you mm -hmm. almost, I feel bad almost. I reread like Schrodinger's Cat and I'm like, why don't we have space cities? Why don't we have... Why don't we have a benevolent government? Uh, well, that's, that's really wishing at that point. But um, when you met him, I mean, did he... Uh, was it sincere? Was he sincerely oh, was he, was optimistic? He yes. Yeah, genuinely I optimistic. think so. Yeah, I, I think he was genuinely optimistic, sure. I mean, r remember that um, the, whole, the optimism thing is, is part of, like, you know, like the leery idea of, you know you want to play out the winner's script and not the loser's script, you know what I mean? It's, 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 which is, you know, always a valuable thing to like tell yourself, for instance, when you've just been dumped, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> that, it, it's kind of a, but it's a kind of a forced optimism in, in that sense. It's a conscious choice, almost like an NLP, you know, you're going to NLP yourself into positive thinking. And, um, but w when I met him, um, I mean, I, I mean, I met him in the early nineties. I was, I was, um, I've, Oh, really? Yeah, I would. Yeah, sure. I would go to see his lectures. He would do lectures at bookstores in, in Southern California. So when I moved out to LA, you know, I was, um, you know, I would I would go to like conspiracy theory bookstores and New Age bookstores, n none of which exist anymore. But at the time, there were there were there were quite a few of them on the West Side. And um, uh, Bob Wilson used to speak at a place called um, the Phoenix Bookstore. And um, so, you know, it would be like a, a room in the back and with chairs, and it would, you know, be like $10 to get in and speak for like yeah. 90 minutes, and then he would talk for like another hour and take questions, and uh, it was very informal. You know, so I would hang out and, and talk to him afterwards, or, and, you know, and I, uh, the, but he would do various things. You know, he did, there was a big event at a Masonic Hall here in Los Angeles where he was speaking with Leary and um, Paul Krasner and oh my God. Uh, other people. <laughs> 
Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So, um, but you know, you know, so I I would see him around and stuff like that when I was in my uh, my twenties, and then I interviewed Bob. I, I used to do a talk show on the on the internet called the Infinity Factor, and Bob heard the phone for the first time. Now, this is this I think you'll find interesting. I um so so you know it's the first time I'm going to get to interview him, and I so I I thought all right I'm going to just go through Cosmic Trigger. There were you know there were certain things that I was really really interested to ask him about, and a lot of them related to Leary and the um, Starseed transmissions and all that bit right from the book. Right. And so I had like you know I must have had like I really overdid it. It was like an hour long talk show, and I must have had like 17 pages of questions. <laughs> <laughs> But you, but you know how it is, because you don't want to be caught short, you know what I mean? And so what happens is, is I start asking this question, and he just immediately, just like, I could just tell, he was a little bit grumpy, he didn't want to talk about it, right? He didn't want to yeah. talk about it. And so, like, like with, with like, like a sort of a, you know, I'm, I, I, it's not like he dismissed me with a wave of his hand, but there was a verbal version of that, where it was like, he didn't want to talk about it. Um, so then there was like an, a, a, a uh, commercial break, and I was I was like, look, I, I you know, ninety percent of my questions are just about this topic, and you know, it, but he said, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. We want to talk about. He, he was like basically saying, I don't, you know, it's not really something that I put that much credence in or really believe in, you know, that, that anymore. It he sort of saying, hey, it was the seventies, you know, and so I said, well, do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about that, right? And he was like, no. And this is the interesting part. He said. No, I, you know what? I would rather have my readers go through that themselves, and, wow. and that's a really interesting thing to say. So, but I mean, he didn't necessarily buy into it anymore. It was it was sort of something that he looked at as yeah, something I must have believed in in, in the New Age seventy. You know, and that's and and and, uh, and then coincidentally, I I had a chance to ask Leary some pointed questions about the Starseed transmissions as well, and he didn't want to talk. You could tell something that just kind of embarrassed him, like you know, might have been something you know, you know, one of the goofier things that he was involved with, I guess. Right. Well, now, all right, for our listeners who have no idea what the Starseed transmissions are. Uh, basically, in the early to mid seventies, uh, Robert Anton Wilson suspected, <laughs> let's put it that way, um, that he was receiving transmissions from around uh, the star Sirius. Let, let, let me let me let, let me correct you there. No, he's talking about Leary's experiences. Leary, when Timothy Leary oh, was I'm in sorry. jail. Yeah. Oh, it, I'm it, sorry. There, there, yes. It's in, it's it's part and parcel of the cosmic trigger. You're you're kind of half right, but he, the star sea transmissions is a leery thing. There's a there was a book called that, and so that was the thing that I was asking him about. Right, right, okay. Uh, well, would you like to go into a little more detail about that for our listeners, like as far as what the star sea transmissions are then? Well, it was just it was just like this, you know. The, the, they were trying to like come up with like you know uh, telepathic communication with aliens. You know stuff like that, and right. and so it, right. you know it, it, if you yeah. read the cosmic trigger, you might think that that he, this was something that he bought into, and I, and, and perhaps right. he did, well, that was the attitude of that book that way. Yeah, right. And and so, but basically, he was sort of saying like, you know, hey, look, kid, you know, I'm, it's, that was twenty five years ago. I've moved on. But he didn't. But he didn't <laughs> want to put it down. Well, what I always thought was interesting was that he was corresponding with Philip K. Dick at the time, who was going through a very similar uh, situation of his own, and that ended up being the novel Valis, which, sure. again, 
had an, as much of a psychic explosion in me at the same time as when I read that. Um, you have yourself in the disinformation interviews said that you went through some similar things yourself. Would you be willing to talk about what that might have been? Yeah, to a certain degree. Um, I, um, yeah, I, uh, how do I put this? At a certain time in my life, I, this was uh, about 1994, I would have been about 29. I was very depressed about the, the way things were going with my career and with my life. And I was basically homeless. And I'd been sleeping in an office for several months at that point. And um, a friend of mine, a, a guy who I had met through someone else, was kind of like this... I guess he was like a Pied Piper of DMT is a good way of putting it. He, would, he was very <laughs> happy to turn you on to DMT. And, um, and he turned me on to it. And then for my birthday, which was just a few weeks after that, he gave me two grams of it. Now, two grams of the DMT is an awful lot, an awful lot of it. And um, I started to do it like four times a day. I was like really quite an intrepid explorer of DMT, well, I, and I was. I, also, you don't have a job to go to. <laughs> that would be beautiful. No, I did. I did. I did. You I did. Was, no, you have. Yeah, yeah. I was working at the Paramount Hotel. I was the major d of this like really nice hotel in, in Manhattan, or uh, the um, concierge rather. <laughs> you know, so I had to make like, you know, like dinner reservations for rich people and get them Broadway tickets and stuff. But I, I was able to <laughs> successfully do that. But, but here's the interesting thing. So just not to get up too far enough on the tangent, but I was doing a lot of DMT and I was doing a lot of, of um, mushrooms. And I started to have this weird kind of like, this was like, and the, the thing was, I, the way that I experienced this and the way that I processed this myself is, oh, this is annoying. Was That's how I viewed it. But imagine, okay, hold your hand out so your fist, your right fist is behind your, your head basically, not behind your head, but just like it's out and it's, you can't see your fist, okay? And okay. then if you twist your body and it's, you keep your fist in the equal, you, can't, you still can't see it, if you see what I'm saying. I had this weird feeling that there was a, like a spirit talking to me, right? That I couldn't see that was just behind me. And it was, but it was weird because it was part of me. And that's why I started getting really into getting into the cosmic trigger at that point because when you have really, I mean, he was experimenting with psychedelic drugs. That's what, sets off these experiences, not just psychedelic drugs, but also being interested in Crowley, Crowley-eyed magic and, right. and, and this kind of stuff. So, you know, Wilson is in, was in fact almost doing like the Abramelin things, the, you know, the, 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 the contact with the holy guardian angel kind of angel. stuff right. that, that Crowley was advocating. But he, but there's a way to sort of crash land into that space that doesn't involve you know years of yoga and and breathing exercises, but you know right. a big hefty dose of a psychedelic drug. And so as a reader, that was something that I felt that was sort of keeping me sane. To sort of go to look at a record that a very intelligent person had left behind, i.e. Bob Wilson, yeah. an experience like that. Sort of a roadmap for a lot of people who want to go through that experience or find themselves, shall I say, right. that experience. Right. After initially, you're like, I'm not alone. There's yeah, someone else who's exactly. willing to talk about it and willing to talk about it in a way that makes for a damn good read. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> I got to email you after this with some of my <laughs> stuff. But uh, that's, that's fascinating. Interesting how... Um, well, then let me ask you, getting back to... Uh, where This is a sci-fi show, so we... 
fiction at least here. Um, would you say that his fiction novels, they're like, like say the historical Illuminatus trilogy, for example, where he's writing it in the context of your traditional type of novel, but he's still, the theme throughout all of his books tends to be consciousness evolution. He's trying to force the reader to look at the world in a different way, to leave doubt in one's mind. Don't take everything for granted. Don't take everything at faith. Would you say that that's, right. that's a right. fair representation there? Um, yeah, yeah. Let yeah me, I would. One thing I want, where you've met, where you knew him for so long, I, one thing I want to know is, speaking of, like, a lot of science fiction writers will take traditional styles of writing and just apply it to science fiction. Um, Dune is a historical epic. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is a hard-boiled uh, detective novel. Right. Wilson seems the only one who has used James Joyce, his, the Joycean style, um, as a template for his science fiction novels. Where you're getting into the head of all these different characters, but you're also getting into the viewpoint point of all these different characters, you never really come away thinking that any one particular character is necessarily the right one or the wrong one. Um, this, is this something that, where did this love come from, this love of doubt? I mean, was this, was this through his, um, his work, like you had said, he was a Crowleyite, or at least he was familiar with Crowley's techniques? Or uh, his love of Orson Welles. Well, I, where I, I was think this all, coming all, from? All, well, Korzybski also. Yep. General semantics was something that he yes. was really interested in. So I think that the doubt and that sort of the, the you know the, the doubting or the you know you know it sort of shreds the Aristotelian logic that you know that he had been taught when he was a kid, and so that brings the doubt into the system. I think that was really a big influence on him. Um, to answer your earlier question, I think that the, um, the novels are, in, in effect, um, a way to force creation in readers. It, it, it for, those, those, because, in, especially in, I thought, Mask of the Illuminati, the main character, the guy who's, who wants to join the, the magical order. Bad um, Yeah, remember, remember how there were, like, books that will fall open and, fall, you know, fall open and, and they'll They'll be open to a page that has to him and that kind of thing. So he was sort of, I think, teaching the readers to to start looking for those kinds of things. Look, you know, look for coincidence. That's a, a major thing about Bob Wilson. Is look for coincidences and you know the twenty threes and you know all these kind of like signposts wow. that come from those yeah. you know come from those kind of experiences. Well, I want to talk to you about that too. I think the most. Um one most people will be familiar with with uh, Wilson's work is the 23 Enigma. Uh, would you like to talk about that for a little bit? Well, um, uh, I mean, sure. Um, Again, assuming, assuming people are, have never heard of him before. <laughs> What's that? As, I mean, again, we're assuming that, you know, for a listener that's never heard of this before, what is the 23 Enigma and, you know, how it pops up in his works? Okay. Um, uh, well, the 23 Enigma was something that was noticed by William Burroughs, and he was keeping scrapbooks for um, about 10 years, and he started noticing that, that, that the number 23 would turn up a lot, but it would turn up very often in these um, accidents, you know, an air, an air crash or something like this, you know, or, 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 or something where, you know, 23 people would be 
at in the headline, and he would start to use that, and he found so many of them that it started to be, you know, started to be this, this, this like signpost where he was, oh, yeah, I'm sitting another three. And when uh, Bob Wilson interviewed Burroughs, I think it was for The Realist, I think it was for, for Paul Krasner's magazine, The Realist, in the early 60s, that was one of the things that he asked him about, and, and, and so they, they started talking. So it, it comes from Burroughs, and that was incorporated right. into, as an, uh, like kind of an to him, but I guess, you know, as, as soon as someone tells you about something like that, you, you can sort of, you know, start to get into that mindset uh, pretty easily. It's, it's, it's um, impact recognition or paranoia, if you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all I know is that every time I read one of his books again, suddenly I'm seeing 23s everywhere. It just, it's, uh, what was the parable? The great one who makes the grass green. Um, you know, it just trains your mind to look for these things. But at the same time, when someone starts handing you like papers with 23s all over them, it's like, all right, what have I just tapped into? What did this author just do? What kind of a spell have I stumbled into here? Um, one other thing I want to bring up was that um, the Illuminati itself. Um, I mean, it's the subject of a lot of his books. Um, you're never really sure if the Illuminati are this uh, conspiracy for good or evil. But at the in the uh, Disinfo DVD, when you were announcing your guests, you wrap up by saying, I have seen the Illuminati and it is us. Mm-hmm. Do you think Wilson shared your opinion on that? Uh... I mean, not necessarily. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, the, I was basically trying to make a point to a, you know, a, a group of sort of, you know, media type insiders in a, you know, it was a Manhattan room uh, that I was, addressing. <laughs> but it, you know, but it was people who worked in the media and, and by and large who were sitting there and um, it, it was just an idea of basically saying that, you know, if you can get, get in and monkey wrench system. You know, the, the, there are opportunities to do this and um, and have a good time doing it as well. That was that was my message basically. But um, you know, I, well, I actually I asked him and uh, I, I interviewed Bob on the disinformation TV show. It was it was broadcast in, in Great Britain. It was it's not on the the DVD of that um, show. But um, oh. I actually asked him about the. Um, the Illuminati, and he and he said, "Well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll ask I'll inter- I'll, so he goes, I can't think of a good put on, so I'll just I'll just answer you with the truth for once." And you know, and he, he said, "You know, <laughs> it, 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 what they were, you know, it was a it was a, a group of free thinkers who had, a t- who had to be clandestine about it when their you know being an you know a non-believer would have been or you know could have gotten you into an, an awful lot of trouble." You know, so it was. It was. You know, it was an anti-clerical. You know, movement. I mean, you know, with with some priests who were involved in it too. I mean, you know, it's just. It just. Right. It was something that. And he, but he said, you know, the conspiracies. You know, like people have lifespans. You know, so those, those okay. things they I'll do die that. out eventually. You know, the Republican Party will die out eventually. You know. Right. Huh. Okay. Um. I got one uh, parting question here for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can answer this. I've never gotten a um, a definite answer on this, and I don't suppose it would be appropriate if I got one. What the heck does no wife, no horse, no mustache mean? I don't know. 
Hank, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. Well, are you going to tell me? <laughs> huh? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, sir. Oh, sure uh, thing. Pleasure. Looks like it's uh, time for our coming up calendar here. Next week, Mike Dow and Andrew Marnick give us this update on the brown coat tradition phenomenon. May 15th, meet the sci-fi Saturday night guest at the Comic Con. May 21st, S.J. Wright reveals her latest novel, The Vampire's Warden. On May 28th, Wine Plot Productions' Pasha Roberts fills us in on the very soon-to-be-released film, Silver Circle. On June 4th, it's an Isaac Asimov tribute featuring legendary sci-fi author Ben Bova. And then on June 18th, fresh from a stopover at Callahan's Crosstime Saloon, it's author Spider Robinson. And on June 25th, Anthony Del Call and Connor McCreary get Hey Nani Nani with their hit comic series, Kill Shakespeare. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of the Boston Comic Con and of Comic Art House, your one and only source for original comic artwork. Visit Bob and Kim at ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is one of the official podcasts of the Granite State Comic Con coming up on Sunday, May 15th. Tonight's outro music is provided by Zanoise. Pick up their CD, The Benevolent Beast, on iTunes. Dome? I want to thank Richard Metzger for joining us tonight and giving us some information on the incredible life and times of Robert Anton Wilson, his fiction and his fact and everything in between. And I want to thank all of us and all of you for joining us in Boston last week and at uh, Granite Comic Con next week. Join us there. From the Alston Brighton Hellmouth outside of Boston, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Kriana, thank you for all that you do, honey. It has not been boring. (laughs) (laughs) From the Four Color Vault of Comics, great thanks to Illustrator X and the Dead Redhead. Good night, everybody. I'm sending a wink out to Frank Whiteley. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. I still don't have that sound effect. And from Outpost Gallifrey, our gaming editor, thank you, Java. Is he even Forever here? Okay. Am I still here? Somewhat. <laughs> All right. This, this is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy is increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Have some mushrooms. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel.